find myself at a loss for words. And the funny thing is, it's okay. The last thing I need is to be heard. But to hear what you would say, word of God speak, would you pour down like rain, washing my eyes to see your majesty, to be still and know that you're Finding myself in the midst of you, beyond the music, beyond the noise, and all that I need is to be with you, and in the quiet, hear your voice. Word of God speak, would you pour down like rain, washing my eyes to see your majesty, to be still and know that you're in this place. Please let me stay and rest in your holiness. Word of God speak, would you pour down like rain, washing my eyes to see your majesty, to be still and know that you're in this place, please let me stay and rest in your Finding myself at a loss for words, and the funny thing is, it's okay. This is the day the Lord hath made, so let us rejoice and be glad in it. I am so delighted you've joined us for the service tonight. I pray that the message and the music will be a blessing. You know, I'm starting a new series called Get a Grip. It's so important that people have proper grips as they deal with life and leadership and conflict and defeat and issues like that. For the next several weeks, we're going to be dealing with that theme, Get a Grip. I hope you'll plan to be with us every Thursday night and that you'll share this program with others and ask them to tune in. Again, welcome. Now we're going to turn to our scripture lesson Paul's letter to Philippians chapter 4. 
beginning at verse 10. Would you hear the word of God? I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have received your concern for me. You are indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I complain of want, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound in any and all circumstances. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and want. I can do all things in him who strengthens me. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you join me, please, for a moment of prayer? Oh, God, we are grateful we can share together tonight. We ask that you would bless this message and this service and make it a blessing. And we'll be sure to give you the praise and the glory. It's in your name. Amen. Get a grip. Get a life. It's so crucial that people get a proper grip in life. You know, I played golf all my life for some nine years. But in recent years, my golf game has been going down. But not long ago, while I was out on the practice tee, I suddenly realized that my grip on the golf club had weakened. And so I tightened my grip, and my game has gotten a lot better. I repeat, it's just so important that in everything we have a proper grip. And this applies to life, hard times, defeat, conflict, leadership, and all sorts of things. And we'll be dealing with some of these in the next few weeks. Get a grip. Get a life. Be content. That's where we're going to start. And this is where the Apostle Paul has a lot of wisdom for us. In today's world of turmoil, tension, and stress, how we all need to hear again this word of Paul. Paul says, I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. Now, if anyone had a reason to be discontent, aggravated, angered, it was the Apostle Paul. And yet he said this, not that I complain of want, and incidentally he was in prison in Rome, not that I complain of want, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. In another letter he wrote to the church at Corinth, he talked about the experiences he had being overworked, imprisoned, and all kinds of things. This is the same man who endured all of that who said, I am content. I am content. So what does Paul have to say to us about living this life of the Christian faith and living it well, getting a grip on it? Now before we get into this, let me say a word about discontent. Discontent sometimes can be very wholesome. It's what encourages us to move on. It's what helps us to be dissatisfied with things in the past. It spurs us on to make improvement, to do better. John Stuart Mill wrote, Nothing is more certain than that improvement in human affairs is wholly the work of discontented characters. Suppose Abraham Lincoln, Martin Luther King, Jr., Mother Teresa had not had this kind of wholesome discontent. What about the Apostle Paul? Of all people, he had one of the most wholesome discontents of anybody. And I think that's what he meant earlier in the book of Philippians when he said, this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press on toward the goal of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. 
But there is another kind of discontent, and it causes all kinds of agony and unhappiness and misery. So how would Paul have us to get a grip on that kind of discontent? In other words, to turn it into content. First of all, to be content, focus on the inner circumstances. Focus on the inner circumstances. Now this goes against the grain of popular thought because popular thought says that contentment has to do with making a lot of money. Contentment has to do with all kinds of things like that. Like, for instance, being young, staying young. And maybe this is the reason so many people work hard at staying young, trying to get more than they need, because they think that contentment is wrapped up in outward circumstances. In the cartoon, Hager the Horrible, Mrs. Hager, who is the enslaving wife, is being told by Hager that he's getting ready to go to Europe. He says, anything I can bring you? This enslaved wife says, yes, what about a new life? She's looking for this new life in terms of outward circumstances. And as far as the Apostle Paul would put it, that is the wrong track. Now, all of us know people who have a lot of money or wealth, but who are very miserable people. For instance, you take that passage in the scripture of the rich young ruler. He came to Jesus. He was a ruler. He was young. He was powerful. But he was miserable. He came to Jesus wanting to know how he could inherit eternal life. In our text, Paul says, I know how to be abased and I know how to abound in any and all circumstances. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger and abundance and want. Evidently, Paul moved beyond out of circumstances. Paul found his contentment in inner circumstances. There's a fable about a king. This particular king became sick. So he called in all the wise men of his realm and he asked them what he should do about it. And after a long time of consultation, they said, you should go out and find a contented man and wear his shirt night and day for a month. So the king sent these wise men out to find this contented person. And after a long time, they came back. The king noticed they didn't have a shirt. And so he made the assumption they had not found a contented man. He said to them, you have not found a contented man, have you? They said, oh, yes, we found a contented man. The king said, well, why didn't you bring me the shirt? They replied, your majesty, he doesn't have a shirt. As I said before, contentment is in the inner circumstances, not the outward circumstances. One of the best examples of contentment on the inside is Mother Teresa. She didn't have great wealth. She didn't have any great power base. She didn't have a lot of external security, but yet she was a happy, happy person, and she built her life on inner contentment. Robert Shuler said that he had never met her, that he had seen her home for the dying in Calcutta, he had exchanged letters, but once there was a time that he was supposed to meet her in Tijuana, Mexico, and he said he found her in a poor countryside outside of Tijuana with a lot of pathetic poor people. And he said he talked to her, but then he realized there she was, tiny, saintly, simply. You see her inner contentment was an inner job, not an outward job. Contentment is an inner thing, 
not an outward thing. E. Stanley Jones was correct when he said, most people do not break down from overwork, but from underbeing, underbeing. So you see, our discontent comes to us quite often, not from the strain of outward, but from the lack of spiritual adequacy within. Dr. Lloyd Ogilvie, former chaplain of the United States Senate, said he kept this little slogan on his wall. It was some words of General William Booth of the Salvation Army. People asked him why he was successful. And William Booth said this, I gave to God all there was of William Booth and never looked back. Lloyd Ogilvie said he kept that on his desk because he knew, and on the wall because he knew that he wanted Lloyd Ogilvie to give all he had and never take it back. That also should be true of us in our spiritual development. Keep in mind, to be content, focus on the inner circumstances, not the outer circumstances. And then secondly, to be content, keep on actively learning, actively learning. Paul said, I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. Note that contentment doesn't come to us easily or freely. It's something we have to work at, we have to seek after. Contentment is learned, it is learned. It's a process. I think at the very outset, we should come to understand what contentment is not. Contentment is not complaining. There was a woman having lunch with another woman in Los Angeles, California, and in the process of the conversation, she interrupted and suddenly called the head waiter over, and she said, isn't that Brad Pitt over there at the bar? And the waiter said, yes. She said, he's annoying me. The waiter said, how is that possible? He hasn't even looked at you. And she said, that's what's annoying me. He hasn't looked at me. Back in the 18th century, that was a big problem with music in the church. The music was produced and sung by what they call lining. Lining. In other words, the song leader would give a line, then the congregation would give a line. Line, line. It was called lining. People had hymn books, but they didn't have music. They simply had lines words. Finally, somebody said, why don't we do something different? He said, why don't we teach people music? Why don't we teach notes and parts and harmonies? Well, that started a war. People began to complain about it, complain about this newfangled music, why they needed it. And there were sermons and there were all kinds of things written about it. In 1712, there was a pastor out of Massachusetts that gave us the things that sounded ridiculous to him as to why this new music should not be accepted. Now, maybe this is the beginning of the top ten list, even though it's not ten. But listen, these are the ten objections to this new music. Number one, it's a new way, an unknown tongue. Number two, it's not so melodious as the usual way. Number three, there are many tunes that we shall never have done learning them. Number four, the practice of music creates disturbances and causes people to behave indecently and disorderly. Number five, I love this one. The names given to the notes, do, re, mi, a body, yes, blasphemous. Six, it is a needless way since our fathers got to heaven without it. Seven, it is a contrivance to get money. Eight, those who want this kind of music are a company of young upstarts and some of them are lewd and loose persons. The point is contentment. Contentment is to be found not in complaining. It's just as easy to see a glass half full as half empty.
So contentment is not to be found in complaining. And then contentment is not to be found in comparing yourself with somebody else. Keep in mind that every one of us is unique. Every one of us is a gift of God. We are a masterpiece, so we can be who we are with excitement. When I was in college, I was a member of the SAE fraternity at the University of Georgia. Since then, people have asked me frequently to write letters of recommendation of young men who are going to Georgia for the SAE chapter. I've always been delighted to do that, but not simply because they are special people going to the University of Georgia or to an SAE chapter, but because anybody, I would recommend anybody, all of us are masterpieces. There was a teacher in the sixth grade that asked the students, what has come into the world in the last 15 years that wasn't here before? The teacher expected the students to say things like discoveries and inventions. One little boy raised his hand and the teacher said, all right, Johnny, what's your answer? He said, me. And he was wondrously right, absolutely right. That was a unique young man. And then contentment is not to be found in brooding over the past. Dr. Thomas Toole, who is a Presbyterian minister at the Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church in New York, told about a wonderful ceremony that took place at the Culver Military Academy. He said these young men would get their diplomas, they would walk across the stage, they would receive it from the dean, shake hands with the president, and they would walk under the archway into the future. But a voice would always say, don't forget to close the gate. Now what does that mean? That means don't forget to close the door on your mistakes and your failures and your sins as you move into the future. Don't forget to close the gate. That's a parable for us. We should keep that in mind and not forget to close the gate. And then contentment. Contentment. Since we're dealing with it as what it isn't, now let's deal with it as what it is. Contentment is found in growth. You take a plant. A plant that's growing is alive. A plant that brings forth new leaves in the spring is alive. One that doesn't is dead. Growth is alive. You know, in the early days of Methodism, in the conference minutes, they didn't keep them by just writing the minutes. They asked questions. And so question number 10, and one that came out of 1794, was, who died this year? And the answer was Andrew Watt. Andrew Watt. But Andrew Watt was this one who, as long as he was able to ride, he kept on riding, and he kept on moving out and praising God. You know, as I was thinking about that, that sounds like contentment to me. And if we can keep on living and riding and moving out and praising God everywhere we go, we'll be contented people ourselves. So contentment is growth. And then contentment also is response. Jesus was a person who responded to everything. If he was in a group where there was joy, he always added another note of joy. In other words, in John's gospel, we're told that he began his public ministry at a wedding. But he was equally concerned for people who were mourning. When Lazarus died, he asked, where did they put Lazarus? He wanted to know Jesus is the symbol of life, and Jesus was always responsible and responsive to life all around him. And then contentment is found in gratitude. Someone said that God dwells in two places, in heaven and a thankful heart, and he does. You know, all of us have a lot to be thankful for, and 
to be contented with. For instance, count your many blessings, name them one by one. Count your many blessings, see what God hath done. We're told to be thankful in everything. Contentment is found in gratitude. And then contentment is found in a conscious relationship with God. I think it was Rick Warren in his book, The Life, The Purpose Filled Life, who said something like this, Life is not about you. If you want to know why you're here on this planet, go to God. Go to God. I would simply add, if you want to know not only why you're here on this planet, but how to live best on this planet, go to God. Go to God. Isaiah put it like this, They who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Again, contentment is to be learned. And then contentment is surrendering our life to Jesus Christ over and over again. At last, Paul tells us the real secret of his contentment. He said, I can do all things in Christ who strengthens me. Prior to that, he said, for to me to live is Christ. Paul did not put any permanence on the ups and downs of life. He didn't confer permanence on the ups or the downs. Consequently, he could go have a lobster dinner or he could go be in a shipwreck. He may not have liked the shipwreck, but he knew how to handle it because he knew it wasn't the last word. It's important to realize that Paul did put permanence on the companionship of Jesus. He knew that he had to live in Jesus if he was going to handle the ups and downs of life. And so he said, I can do all things in him who strengthens me. Tony Campolo, the great preacher and professor, he said that when he awakens in the morning, he has a particular kind of prayer. He doesn't ask God for different things. He just simply, as he said, lies in his bed. And he simply says, Jesus, 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 Jesus. It keeps him from thinking about the thousand other things he's got to do that day. And it also helps him to rededicate his life to Christ and to open his life to the invasion of the Holy Spirit on that day. And then Maxie Dunham said that when he would give his devotional time in the morning, he always had a word for himself. Sometimes he would say that word out loud. Sometimes he would simply become aware of it. Sometimes he would use it as a liturgy and repeat it off and on in exercises. It was simply this. Maxie, the secret of life is simply this. Christ in you. That is the secret of life. Paul said, I have learned in whatever to be content. He said, I can do all things in Christ who strengthens me. The secret of life, the secret of contentment is Christ in you, Christ in me. So let me say this to you. Get a grip. Get a life. Let us pray. Lord, we're thankful again for this opportunity of being together. We are thankful for what Paul has been teaching us, and we are grateful, O oh God, that we can hear it afresh as for the first time, and we too can get out of the stress and turmoil and tension of life and become contented people, not so contented that we let wrong win over right, be discontented people there, but be contented people that we may live in peace and that we may live a life that you would call us to live and that we may bring joy and love to others all around us. It's in your name. Amen. Thank you so very much for joining us for this service tonight. 
And I hope that you'll remember that we're preaching a series on get a grip. Next week, we'll be preaching on defeat. Tell your friends, thank you for joining us. Good night. I want to know